0: All right, welcome everybody. Welcome back. We didn't meet uh, last Wednesday because of Thanksgiving, so good to see you all back. And uh, we will meet tonight and next Wednesday, and then, believe it or not, we're done for this semester. So it ends on December the 9th. If you wanted to go an extra week, then you can blame Pansy's husband for that. He's the director of the uh, Community Institute. But we are ending on December 9th, so just next Wednesday will be the last midweek until after the first of the year, then we'll start start back up again. So you'll have about four weeks off before we start up again. We're going to be on page seven, pick up where we left off, on page seven, and especially since we've had a week off, but because this is a survey course, I always like to take a few minutes to review where we've been as quickly as I can for a memory to our Uh, An aid to our memory, but also for the sake of those who may not have been here for previous weeks. And this is how to get the most out of your Bible. And it has three components to it survey of the Bible, how to interpret the Bible, and then how to apply the Bible. Those three things. We are in the first of those. I've been telling you that the first of those three sections will be the bulk of the course. And you can see we're taking a long time to get through. We're going to finish, I think, the Old Testament. Tonight. And then uh, when we come back uh, next week, we'll be able to start possibly on the New Testament because I say possibly, as you'll see, there's a period in between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament that we want to cover. But in our survey of the Bible, we've wanted to take some of the intimidation out of reading the Bible and studying the Bible. The Bible, for a lot of people, is an intimidating book. I've made the case that. It's intimidating because of its size, it's intimidating because of its age, and because of its diversity. And one way that that intimidation can be removed, or at least minimized, is if you realize the Bible is really about three things, and those three things are laid out in the first three chapters of the Bible. Now, what are those three things? God gives us an orientation to himself and to his world. And so it's first about creation, which is an orientation That's who God is and what he wants from us. Uh, But then in chapter 3, the third chapter of the Bible, we find the entrance of sin into God's world. And this world that was oriented uh, toward God and people toward one another now becomes distorted and nothing fits and nothing is right. And so you have the fall or disorientation. That's what our problem is. So you have creation, orientation, who God is and what he expects from us. You have the fall, disorientation, what our problem is. Thankfully, in chapter 3 of Genesis, you also have God saying, I'm going to do something about this problem of sin. Chapter 3 and verse 15 of Genesis, he says, I'm going to put enmity between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. And he's saying that uh, the solution to this problem of sin is going to ultimately come through a human being. And so we have this promise given that a human being is going to come at some point in the future. That will be the promise, and that's re- that will be the solution, and that's redemption or reorientation. What God is doing about sin. So you got those three things. If you just understand those three things, then everything else in the Bible holds together under those three those three headings: creation, orientation, who God is, and what He expects. Uh, the fall, disorientation, what our problem is, and then redemption, reorientation, what God is doing about the problem of sin. And what he is doing, he promised in Genesis 3.15, would be a human being would come who will be the solution to sin. And this human being will come through the seed of the woman. And then God begins to focus on the seed. Chapter 5 of Genesis is a genealogy. You read those genealogies and you get bored with that, but it's important because it's tracking the lineage of of the seed it focuses on the seed of one of the sons of Adam and Eve, Seth. You remember they had Cain and Abel. Cain kills Abel. And then chapter 4 and verse 25 tells us that God gave Seth as a replacement for Abel. And so chapter 5 now focuses on the line of, of Seth. And one of the Sethites, one of his descendants, is someone we're introduced to in chapter 6, Noah noah in genesis chapter 6 noah has three sons ham shem and japheth and one of those three sons is a progenitor is an ancestor of abraham abraham is a shemite through the line of shem comes abraham in genesis chapter 12 now focuses on Abraham and God makes a covenant with Abraham that through him all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. And now that line begins to to multiply through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob's twelve sons, the twelve tribes of of Israel. One of those twelve sons, Joseph, is hated by his brothers. And uh, chapter thirty seven of Genesis, all the way to the end of chapter fifty, tell the story of the saga of Joseph and how he was sold into slavery by his brothers. He was uh, given up for, for dead, or whatever would happen to him. In God's good providence, he wound up in Egypt, but not only in Egypt, but in a prominent position in Egypt. And God also arranged the circumstances so that his brothers, many years later, had to go to Egypt for food because of a famine in Israel. And when they come, who do they find but this brother that they had uh, they had left for dead. And that brought, then the seed of Abraham, into Egypt, which brings you to the second book of the Bible, Exodus. The whole reason there was the need for an Exodus is because they had entered to begin with. And so they became a, a mighty nation. Uh, two million people, it's estimated, left Egypt in uh, the, the Exodus. And that's based upon Numbers 145. Numbers 145 says that there were 603,550 uh, adult men who left in the exodus if they had wives that's 1.2 million and then if they had children you've got uh, a couple of million people leaving after 430 years in slavery in in Egypt and so you have the second book then of of exodus and in exodus there's the wandering there's the giving of the law and the design for the tabernacle uh, look uh, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the five books of the law, uh, give more details about how God's to be worshipped, give the civil and ceremonial law. And then you have uh, Joshua, the sixth book, and that is finally coming to the land that they didn't take when they first left Egypt in disobedience to God, and thus the reason that they wandered for 40 years. That was God's punishment for disobeying and not going in and taking the land. Well, now after that 40 years... Uh, all of those adults who came out of Egypt and disobeyed God, all of them are dead, except Joshua and Caleb and Moses. And Moses is now dying, and Joshua and Caleb are the only two left. And Joshua is going to lead God's people finally into the promised land, the land promised to Abraham in that that covenant. And so you have the, the book of Joshua, and we saw that, the conquests were total when they obeyed god but there were times when they disobeyed god and uh, they were they were defeated and one major thing that they failed to do was take over the land in its entirety that's what god told them to do and as a result of failing to take over the land in its entirety they came into a land that was now mixed with other other peoples and because they allowed the pagans to stay in, in place, it led to intermarriage, it led to spiritual uh, defection. And you come into the period of the Judges, the seventh book of your Bible. The Judges, 300 years that are the dark ages of the Old Testament, the Judges. Four times you have the refrain, In those days Israel had no king, and everyone did what was right in his own, in his own eyes. so that was a dark dark period and then your eighth book of the bible starts this way the book of Ruth in the days very first line in the days when the judges ruled so it's setting the context now for this four chapter but important book called Ruth it's in this dark period and in this dark period here's this ray of God's grace this ray of light a book named after a woman who's not even an Israelite not even one of God's chosen people from a physical standpoint. She's not part of the physical seed, but she's going to be part of the spiritual seed. And Ruth, a Moabite, through a series of circumstances marries an Israelite named Boaz. And their uh great-grandson turns out to be a guy named David. And 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 because Boaz was from Bethlehem, that's the reason that Bethlehem is known to us as the city of David. And in just a, a few weeks, when we celebrate Christmas, we'll often use that phrase, born to you this day, in Bethlehem, in the city of David. But that all goes all the way back to Ruth and Boaz and to the eighth book of your Bible. Alright, so so far, you know, so far, so good. You know, for me. As I'm reading along in the Bible and I get through the first eight books, all right, I'm tracking. But then it starts to go south <laughs> as you start reading through the Bible. And the reason it's okay up to that point is because it's chronological. It's all moving forward in a chronological fashion. But I'm going to show you that with what we have on page seven, beginning with what we have on page seven, you then have a, a departure from chronological approach. And then it can get very confusing if you're not if you're not careful. So what what happens? Uh, you have the period of the judges the book of Ruth takes place during that period of the judges that dark ages the people demand uh, a, a king like the other nations have God had planned to give them a king but not at that time but he went ahead and gave them their wish to show them that they need to rely on him and his timing and that first king was a disaster named Saul but then the second king is, is David and then David's son Solomon you have the first three kings, Saul and David and Solomon. But then on page 7, the kingdom is split. After Solomon, the kingdom split in two. Now, why did it it split in two? Well, First Kings chapter 12 says this in verse 3. They sent for Jeroboam, and he and the whole assembly of Israel went to Rehoboam and said to him, Your father put a heavy yoke on us but now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us and we will serve you. Here's Rehoboam's Rehoboam's response. My father made your yoke heavy. I will make it heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. It's verse 14 of uh, 1 Kings 12. So in 1 Kings 12, 3 and 4, they ask Rehoboam, to be more merciful than Solomon was and he says not only will I not be I'll be more harsh and believe it or not that didn't work out well so and so there's this there's this split as as a result and you see at the top of page seven then again after Solomon it split the northern kingdom was called Israel the southern kingdom was called Judah the first king in the north was one of those we just read about it about Jeroboam one of Solomon's cabinet and the soldiers and the first king in the south was Rehoboam, Solomon's son. Now, the north was comprised of ten of the twelve tribes. Ten of the twelve, all of the tribes except Judah and Benjamin. And the south, the southern kingdom, just are those two, Judah and Benjamin. And in fact, the southern kingdom came to be known as Judah. So now you have Israel and you have Judah. Israel, 10 tribes, Judah, 2 tribes, and they are and they are split. And the northern kingdom was eventually exiled to Assyria. Now why? The northern kingdom called Israel had 19 kings and they were all bad. That's why. They were all disobedient to God. And so, as punishment for their disobedience and their failure to lead as God required, they were uh, taken captive by the hated Assyrians. And so, this kingdom, the northern kingdom, lasted only two, about 200 years. These are round numbers, actually, 209 years. Uh, 209 years. Now, the split occurred in 931, 931 BC. And the exile to Assyria occurred in 722 B.C., 722 B.C. So you've got 209 years, call it 200. The kingdom only lasted 200 years, was captured by an exiled to Assyria, and for the most part the Israelites did not return to the land of Canaan until the time Israel became a nation again in 1948. So so God still has work to do with these guys. Now, we're going to see some of that if we have time toward the end of our, uh, our lesson today. But that's the northern kingdom. Uh, only lasted a couple of hundred years. The southern kingdom was exiled eventually to Babylon and for the same reason, disobedience to, to God. The southern kingdom, called Judah, also had 19 kings and one queen. Some of their kings were good, some were bad. Judah lasted about 300 years and was then captured by an exile to Babylon. In 586, the chart on the next page says 587, but 586 BC is when the uh, southern kingdom was taken captive into, into Babylon. And so, so far things are chronological. You have the first three kings, Saul and David and Solomon. You have Solomon's son, Rehoboam, uh, coming to power. But as he comes to power to succeed his father Solomon, he does what's recorded in 1 Kings 12. He says, I'm going to treat you more harshly than my than my father did. The kingdom splits. You have the north and the south, ten tribes and two tribes. And both of them are eventually taken captive by two Two pagan, pagan nations. All right, so everybody can get their their mind around that. But then you come to the ninth book of your Bible, First Samuel. And in First Samuel and Second Samuel, and First Kings, Second Kings, First Chronicles, Second Chronicles, those are the next six books. And as you as you read those books. It starts out in chronological order and then, uh, and then reverts back to uh, anachronism. It uh, goes out of order. And so it provides the lives and times of the kings of God's chosen people and how those lives were lived under their kings, but not, as I say, chronologically. So let me just go through those quickly. 1 Samuel deals with the first two kings, Saul and David. And then the 10th book, 2 Samuel, deals with David. So, so far we're going in order. Saul, David. David continued in 2 Samuel. And then uh, 1 Chronicles, same thing, more David. So lots of David. And then you come to 1 Kings. And the first 10 chapters of 1 Kings deal with Solomon. So you're still in chronological order. you got Saul, you got David, you got, you got Solomon. But then when you come to 1 Kings 11, you get, you get these, these other guys that we will see. And, and Solomon's not only dealt with in 1 Kings, he's dealt with in 2 Chronicles, the first part of 2 Chronicles. All right. And then there's these other forty kings of Israel and Judah, and they're dealt with. And where are they dealt with? In Second Chronicles ten, in First Kings eleven and following, in the entire book of Second uh, Kings, and in the latter part of, uh, as I say, Second Chronicles. So, so here's what you you end up with. Uh, the chronology is broken when you get to the 13th book of your Bible. First Chronicles. So in 1 Samuel, it's all good It's in terms of chronology. Saul and David. 2 Samuel, still David. 1 Kings, in the first part of 1 Kings, is Solomon. Second part of 1 Kings are his successors. But then as you get to the end of 2 Kings, now you come to first chronicles and first chronicles goes back to saul and david so it reverts back to saul and david so people get all balled up because they're reading along everything's going along chronologically and then all of a sudden it's like, hey i read that part before hey wait a minute I already what is that a misprint so what you have are different details being added to many of the very same events involving many of the same people. Somewhat like you have in the New Testament when you have the Gospels and you have in Matthew, Mark, Luke, some of the same events recorded, but you have different details and a different perspective often on those same events. That's what you have here. And so that's why it comes out in this non-chronological way and, and can become confusing so what uh, can be done to help that help that confusion well one thing that will help with that confusion is uh, to understand uh, when the rest of the books were written and for what purpose they were written and i can in a relatively short period of time this evening go through that um for all thirty-nine, all thirty-nine books, okay, and that'll help. Even though it's not chronological, it'll help understand where things where things fit in. But for now, take a look at page eight, and let's fill in um, page eight. So we have these charts for you, just so you have a ready-made place to look at the timeline and look at the various events. And up at the top. On the left, top left, the key person in 1000 BC is David. Top left, key person is David. And the key event is the the monarchy or the kingdom. David is the true first king. Even though Saul was king, he was not God's chosen king. So the monarchy, the kingdom. And then if you go all the way over to the top right, 500 BC, you have the key person as Ezra. Ezra. Because after you get done with First and Second Chronicles, the next book is Ezra. And who's this guy? Well, he's a guy leading people back out of this exile in Babylon. And so what's the key event? The return. And on the previous page, on page 7... Events eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve on the left no no no, don't go back there. I'm just referring to it. No, I stay on page eight. I'm just saying that rectangular box on the left side of page eight refers to these events on page seven. Number eight, the kingdom is split. Kingdom split. And number nine is the Assyrian exile. So if you go back if you were to go back to page seven. Paragraph 9 is about that. And 10 is the Babylonian exile. So you've got the kingdom split, Assyrian exile, Babylonian exile, then the Babylonian captivity. The 70 years that they're actually there. And then, number 12, you have the return from Babylon, the return from Babylon. So you've got the kingdom split, Assyrian exile, Babylonian exile, Babylonian captivity, return from Babylon. Now, to the right of that, the United Kingdom, before it was divided after Solomon, had the first three kings, Saul and David and Solomon. Saul, David, Solomon. Saul, David, Solomon. But then after Solomon, his son Rehoboam splits the kingdom into the north and the south, Judah and Israel. The first king of the north is Jeroboam. And that kingdom lasted 200 years. And they had 19 kings. The first king of the south is Rehoboam. And that lasted 300 years. And they had 19 kings. They were exiled to Assyria. Excuse me. The northern kingdom was exiled to Assyria and the southern kingdom to Babylon. And you see the little box under Babylon. key person is Ezra, who led the return. All right, so now, if you'll turn back to page 7. southern kingdom was in babylon for 70 years you see paragraph 11 there the judeans were in babylon 70 years the bible focuses on daniel and then babylon fell to the medes and the persians who let the judeans return to jerusalem most of them were from the tribe of judah hence the name jews although the tribe of benjamin and some levites were also in the southern kingdom and the jews returned Three groups under three leaders returned to Jerusalem. Zerubbabel returned first, with a group who rebuilt the temple. Ezra returned as a religious leader, and Nehemiah returned as a political governor who rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. With these men and the prophets God raised up to predict the coming of Christ, the Old Testament, the Old Testament ends. Now let me just give you a flavor. Uh, for how bad it, how bad it got, uh, for the southern kingdom, such that God says you're going to be taken captive, and they were taken captive uh, by the Babylonians. One of the 19 kings in Judah was a king named Manasseh, and he was a horrible, horrible king, uh, uh, a blasphemer in every way that he could that he could find. Um, and uh, and his exploits uh, were such that I mean you, you you couldn't think it'd be hard to think and we've had in history some very no- notorious evil people, but this guy was a very evil person, and so he was one of the kings of of Judah. But uh, then one of the subsequent kings, a, a man named Josiah, sought to restore the worship of the true and and living God of of Israel. But uh, he had to do that for this reason, that uh, because God's word, believe it or not, had become so deprecated, so demeaned, that it had actually become lost. And so under kings like uh, Manasseh, and then, um, and then subsequent kings, God's word, became lost to the people of Judah. And then under one of those southern kingdom kings named Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim. Now the Bible tells us that he actually burned portions of the Bible once it was recovered. And in particular, the portion of the Bible he burned was the prophecy of Jeremiah. Uh, the prophecy of Jeremiah against the southern kingdom because of their wickedness. And he burned it in defiance. Jeremiah rewrote it. And then he added a personal prophecy against Jehoiakim. And that prophecy against Jehoiakim came to pass exactly as Jeremiah had, had predicted now, notice the interplay there between you've got the kings, but you've also got the prophets. And that's what I alluded to a little bit earlier when I said, I think if you'll understand just a few key things, you can start to get your mind around what could be very confusing because of the non-chronological way that the Old Testament goes, beginning with the 13th book of First, of First Chronicles. Because what you have is, you have these kings and their reigns. And then you have the long list of prophets, like guys like Jeremiah, who are exhorting them to return to God. And that's why you read through those prophets, and they're regularly calling the people and calling the, the, the leaders back to God. And then they're predicting what's going to befall them if they, if they fail to do that. So how can you make sense of... Where the books are and what they're about. Well, you've got 39 of them. Uh, 17 of them are history books. 17 are history. You've got the first five that are often separated into the books of the law, but they are the they are history books. And then you've got uh, you've got uh, 12 other books of of, of history. You know, you've got First uh, and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. You've got Ruth. You've got Ezra. You've got Nehemiah. You've got Esther. You've got seventeen total books of history. You've got seventeen prophets. So seventeen books of history, seventeen prophets. That's thirty-four of your thirty-nine. And then the remaining five are what are called the wisdom books or the poetic books. And those are Job. And Psalms, and Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. So you've really got those three main divisions. That first division of historical books could be divided into law and history, 5 and 12, but 17, 17, and 5. And those history books and the prophets, those 34 of the 39, interplay with each other because these are prophets that are prophesying at the time, this history is going on. So you've got this history recorded. This king reigned, and this king did that, and they went to war with these people, and they were captured by these people, and all of that. And then later, when you're reading the prophets, what you have are the prophets during the, during that time, prophesying against, most of the time, the disobedience of, of the people. So if you, if you put aside the wisdom books just for just for a moment, then, the the Bible's chronological for the first twelve books, but then First Chronicles starts over with the first kings of Saul and and David, and so that can cause some confusion. But you just need to know this: that you've got two kingdoms. As you read that history, you got two: you got the Northern Kingdom Israel, you got the Southern Kingdom Judah, and you also need to understand which prophets are speaking to whom so when I read a Jeremiah who's Jeremiah mad at is he mad at Israel or is he mad at at Judah because each of the prophets is speaking to one or the other so there are two kingdoms and then these 17 prophets are speaking to one or the other of, of those and and here's a, a third and, and final thing if you get just this handful of things it'll help. I think One, that there are two kingdoms, that the prophets are speaking to one of those two. And then the third thing is knowing whether they're speaking before, during, or after the exile. Is this a prophet who was prophesying before they got taken? During the time they were taken? Or after they came back? Now that brings you to page 9. <clears throat> Which pretty much says what I was saying. As you summarize what we've been looking at, there are 66 books in the Bible. The Old Testament contains 39 of them, covering 4,000 years. And the New Testament has 27, covering less than 100 years. The 39 Old Testament books are divided into three types, history, poetry, or wisdom, and prophecy. The history books, Genesis through Esther, these are the first 17 in the Table of Contents. They basically follow in consecutive order the overview we've been looking at for many weeks genesis ends with joseph and his brothers in egypt now we say they basically follow in consecutive order i said book 13 messes that order up that's why it says basically not completely but genesis ends with joseph and his brothers in egypt exodus describes moses leading out of egyptian captivity from moses through chapter 20 on through leviticus numbers deuteronomy moses has written the law mixed with the history with the history of the 40 years of the Israelites wandering in the wilderness. Book of Joshua is about the conquest. Judges is about the judges and those dark ages. Ruth takes place during the time of the judges. First Samuel is basically about Saul, second Samuel about David, First Kings about Solomon, Second Kings about the 19 kings of Israel and 19 kings of Judah. And then first and second chronicles are a review. So that's why they go back. A review focusing on David and the kings of Judah. You've got Ezra and Nehemiah discuss the return after the captivity in Babylon. And Esther reveals an event that happened to some of the Jews who stayed behind in Persia. So those are the history books. It's verse 17. Then you've got the poetry books. Job through Song of Solomon. Job probably lives sometime between Noah and Abraham though that's it's not certain when Job lived um, the Psalms were written primarily by David Proverbs, Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon by Solomon and then you've got the prophecy books there are three kinds those written before, during and after the exile so get this little mnemonic at the, the bottom here to help you remember this It's easiest to learn those written after the exile because they're where you expect them to be. They're the last three books. So Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. These are written after the return. There are only two that were written during the exile. Daniel, and then the other one uh, is Ezekiel. And then there are the before-the-exile books. They were written during the divided kingdom. That is, in the times of the 19 kings of Israel and these 19, and the 19 kings of Judah. And they've got these three groups. You've got two that are called the Gentile books. Jonah written to Nineveh, Obadiah written to Edom. So uh, Jonah, you guys remember the story, and the, the hated Ninevites... And you know they're obviously pagans. And so that's why they're called the Gentile, the Gentile books. And God is merciful to the Ninevites, much to the displeasure of the prophet Jonah. But then you've got judgment from Obadiah uh, written to, to Edom. But then you've got the northern kingdom books, and there's only three of them. Now, remember, the northern kingdom didn't last that long, uh, 200 years. There are only three Northern Kingdom books: Hosea, Joel, and Amos. And then the Southern Kingdom books are all the rest. So if we haven't covered it yet, like say Isaiah or Micah, then it's a before the exile Southern Kingdom book. And so, you know, you you have to work on that a little bit. I understand. But if you'll do that, that then puts together. The entire 39 the entire 39 books uh because with the exception of job even the wisdom books the poetry books the four of the five of those are written by david and solomon And these are guys that we know something about we know when they lived right so even as you're reading through the psalms you're reading through song of solomon ecclesiastes proverbs you know something about solomon and what's behind what it is he's what it is he's writing So it will help you to get your your mind around that. Now, uh, some of you may know that the order of the books that we have, the order that we just went through, 39 books, and you look in the table of contents of your Bible, and the order that goes from Genesis to Malachi, that that order um, has has changed from uh, the Hebrew order from antiquity And so I just uh, wanted to take a few minutes to to talk about that, as to why it is we have the order that we have of the 39 books today. Now, it's important for you to know that we have the same content. So the content hasn't changed. It's just the arrangement of the content. And one author uh, on the development of the Bible, Norman Geisler, says this, Probably the earliest division of the Hebrew Bible had only two divisions, the law and the prophets. That's the most common distinction in the New Testament, and it's confirmed as well by Jewish usage and even in the Dead Sea Scrolls. But then later, the Jewish Bible was divided into three sections. And those three sections were the law, the prophets, and the writings. Now, you guys remember maybe many weeks ago, I mentioned Jesus saying in Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, verses 44 to 49. Jesus has already died on the cross by the time of Luke 24. Luke 24 is the final chapter in the book of Luke. He's already died. He's already been raised. He's walking on the road to Emmaus, and he comes upon these two disciples, and they're, they're saying, hey, haven't you heard what's happened? And Jesus says, Yeah, as a matter of fact, I have (laughs) heard what's happened. And it says they were amazed, and their hearts burned within them as he opened the scriptures to them, and all that the Bible says concerning the scriptures say concerning himself. In the law, the prophets, and it says the Psalms, those three categories. So instead of law, prophets, and writings, it says law, prophets, and Psalms, and. Uh, the, the reason is, is because it's Psalms instead of the Writings is that became a way of referring to that section of five books. The Psalms are the first and the largest of those five books, and so Jesus makes this reference to this threefold, this threefold division, and the the division and the order of the books in those divisions. Now, get this was based on the status. of, of the authors of the books. The status of the authors of the books. So the law books are, are first. In part because Moses, the lawgiver, um, is top of the pecking order. And then come the prophets with their eight books. And then the non-prophets or the wise men who appear with With their books. And so in the Jewish arrangement. Of the 39 books. They were laid out. According to. Official status. In descending. Descending order. But then. In 250. Around 250 BC. 250 BC. There was a translation. Of the Hebrew Old Testament. Into Greek. And that. Translation from Hebrew to Greek is called the Septuagint. And it's called that because Septuagint means 70. And there were 70 people who worked on this translation. It's sometimes uh, identified with Roman numeral, a Roman numeral, LXX, 70. So in print, if you see LXX, it's referring to this thing called the Septuagint, 70 translation of the Hebrew Old Testament into Greek in 250 BC now why does that matter here's why because that's when the arrangement changed uh, from official status to a topical subject matter order so then you had the 17 books of history five books of poetry and 17 books of 17 books of prophecy And then after that, you have a guy named Jerome who translates the Bible into Latin, the Latin Vulgate. And that became the Bible for a thousand years in Latin. And it used the order of the Septuagint. And so that's the order that has stayed with us to to this day, this topical subject matter arrangement. So that brings you then to page 10. You've got 17 history books, 17 prophecy books, and you've got in between five uh, wisdom or poetry books. Now, those boxes are pretty useless as far as I'm concerned for you to put the uh, names next to the numbers there. But you've got the first 17 there are the history books. Then you've got the five poetry books. But then as you look at the 17 prophets, notice how they're identified by whether or not they were speaking to the, which kingdom they were speaking to, and whether or not it was before, during, or after the exile. So if you look at number 23, 24 and 25, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations. Those prophets did their perform their ministry before the exile to Babylon. And they were prophesying to the southern kingdom. That's what that's saying, before the exile to the southern kingdom. And then Ezekiel and Daniel prophesied during the exile in Babylon. And then Hosea, Joel and Amos They were the only three written to the northern kingdom before they were exiled to Assyria. Obadiah and Jonah are these Gentile prophecies. And then Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, and Zephaniah before the exile again and to the the southern kingdom. So just like Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Lamentations, Numbers 33 through 36 are performing their ministry at the same time. And then the last three are all after after the exile. Now that concludes then the second 2,000 years of Old Testament history, part two. There's a part three. And part three is on page 11. Part three deals with a vision that God gave to Daniel while in exile in Babylon. And of course, the book of Daniel, as we saw, was written during, during that 70-year exile. And God gave this vision of a, an image, a statue. And the statue was made of four different kinds of metals, of gold, silver, silver, and bronze and and iron and then Daniel gives the interpretation of that and he says these four different portions of this image and the different metals represent four world kingdoms and the first one is a head of gold that is the Babylonian kingdom and if you are Nebuchadnezzar and you're the king of Babylon and you've got a captive Jew And he says, here's a prophecy, here's a prediction. There's going to be four world empires. And you are the head of gold. And this is exactly what Daniel says, Daniel 2. You, Nebuchadnezzar, are that head of gold. But if you're Nebuchadnezzar, you've got to be a little worried. Because the gold moves to silver. So your days are numbered. That's really what's being said. You, Nebuchadnezzar, and your days are numbered. So you've got Nebuchadnezzar, and then you've got... The, uh, the kingdom of silver which historically and some of some of what they did is recorded in scripture as they took over Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon is the Persian Empire the Persian Empire and then the Persians were succeeded by the Greek Empire of Alexander the Great that's the bronze midsection of the statue <clears throat> and then the two legs of iron are the fourth world empire <coughs> excuse me the Roman Empire. So Babylonian and <coughs> and Persian and Greek and Roman. Now Daniel is one of the exiles in in Babylon. He has that vision <coughs> and that vision and some of the history that transpired in those kingdoms sets the stage for the New Testament. Um, Things that happened in the Greek Empire, historically, set the stage for stuff we're going to read and start to look at in a few weeks in the New Testament. Uh, For example, you guys have heard of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Well, believe it or not, even though these are religious groups, the reason they're two different groups and the reason they really don't like each other uh, had to do with how they related to the Greek culture that the Greek empire had established. So knowing something about that and the fact that that had happened hundreds of years before the beginning of your New Testament, it set the stage for what we read in our New Testament. Now one of the other uh, prophecies of Daniel that I'd like to spend the rest of our time focusing on is in Daniel chapter 9. Daniel 9. <clears throat> Daniel 9 verses 24 to 27. Verse 24, Daniel 9. Seventy sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city. <coughs> Two, do six things. Finish transgression. Put an end to sin. Atone for wickedness. Bring in everlasting righteousness. Seal up vision and prophecy and anoint the most holy. Okay, that's a tall order. That all six of those things are going to happen during this period of seventy sevens. Now I'm reading from my I'm reading from my NIV 84. Does everybody, everybody everybody reading what I'm reading? Yeah. No. What are you reading? I'm oh, you are. Yeah. Hey. We're NIV positive here. Okay. No. no, I mean, does somebody have the NIV 2011? I should have my 2011 here. I just want to make sure there was no differences there. Okay, but but when verse 24 says seventy sevens, if you have a King James, it says seventy weeks are determined. Seventy weeks, but literally in Hebrew, seventy periods of seven. And when we read in English 70 weeks, we go 490 days. And here's Daniel, you know, writing during the, you know, the 5th century B.C. And he's saying all this is going to happen in 490 days. Well, that's, it's not weeks of, of days. In the context of Daniel 9, it is seven periods of years. And it's 77s of years so that's not 490 days it's 490 years that all of this stuff is going to to happen so in verse 24 this is the time period it's going to be these 490 years and during these 490 years these six things these six amazing things are going to happen but then verse 25 says no one understand this from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seventy sevens and sixty-two sevens. Now, you know, this is old language. That's what makes the Bible uh, intimidating sometimes. Instead of just saying there will be sixty-nine weeks, it says there will be seven and sixty-two. All right? But that's the same thing. So know and understand that from the time of the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes there will be 69 weeks or how many years is that? I say weeks, I'm sorry 69 sevens so how many years is that? 483 right? 483 483 it will be built and then it goes on to talk about the Uh, the city being rebuilt. Now let me just stop here. If you could identify that, when the decree was given that the city of Jerusalem would be rebuilt after the Babylonian captivity, then you could begin the clock ticking of this prophecy. And I'll provide that for you in in a moment. Verse 26, after the 62 sevens, which is really after the 69, because remember it's 7 and 62... So after the 62 is really after the 69. At the end of that, the anointed one will be cut off. That is, will be killed. The Messiah will be killed. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end and desolations have been decreed. He will confirm... Well, let me stop there. I'll get to that in a second. So you've got this issuing of the, you know, the decree to, um, to rebuild. And the decree to rebuild was given by Artaxerxes in the year 444, 444 BC. In fact, you read about it in Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah chapter 2. Now remember, you know all the 39 books now, right? Nehemiah is one of these books that has to do with returning back and rebuilding. And Nehemiah starts out by saying there was a decree issued by the king that says we can can rebuild. That's issued in 444 B.C. Now, I've got, and if anybody wants a copy of it, I'm happy (coughs) to give it to you, but I've got a chart that shows how if you take into account leap years, no kidding (laughs) if you take into account the fact that year zero is just one year, so you have to account for that and if you use the Jewish calendar which was 360 days if you do all of that you come uh, precisely to AD 33 483 years after the issuing of the decree, to rebuild. A prophecy from Daniel of the time that Jesus would be crucified. All right. Well, that's happened in the past. So you've got the 70 periods of seven years. But how many is that? That's 490, and we've only dealt with 483. So we still got seven years hanging out there. Seven years to get all of this stuff done that's listed in verse 24. Those six things. So where's this Where's this seven-year period? Back to verse 27. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. One period of seven years. So 483 are covered by the seven sevens and 62 sevens. 483 years. But you still got the seven years hanging out there. And you've got this ruler who's going to come. And he's going to cause havoc. And as he does, he will confirm a covenant, make an agreement for seven years. In the middle, verse 27 says, in the middle of the seven, in the middle of the seven years, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering." And on a wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. So you've got seven years where that's still supposed to happen. Where you've got this ruler who's going to come and who's going to make an agreement for that seven-year period. But in the middle of the seven-year period, he's going to break the agreement. This is why Daniel's prophecy is the reason that when you read in the last book of your Bible, Revelation, you go to the very last book, and you've got God saying, with all that I've laid out from the beginning, here's how it's all turning out. You have references to 1260 days. Do you know what 1260 days is? It's in the Jewish 360-day count. It's, it's, um, it's, it's three and a half years. Because you've got this seven-year period known in the Bible as, anybody know? The seven-year what? And who is this ruler that's going to come and make this agreement? And then in the middle of it, he'll break it. It's what the Bible calls the Antichrist. And that's why in the book of Revelation, this seven-year period is divided into two halves because of what Daniel says here that he's going to make an agreement but in the middle of the agreement so the first part will be the setup and then the second part will be the, the hatch coming loose and so you have references to 1260 days you have references to 42 months now where are those in Revelation 11 and verse 2, Revelation 11, 2, Revelation 12 and verse 6, Revelation 13 and verse 5, refers to 1260 days, 42 months. And the Bible also makes a reference to this. Time, times, time, and half a time. You ever read that... Times, time, and half time. Times, two years. Time, one year. And half a year. Three and a half years. So this three and a half year idea becomes a really big deal. In the last part of your Bible. All going back to a prophecy of one of these exiles in Babylon named David. And that then, and we got to quit. But that then begins to inform you, us, as we read the Bible, as to what God's intentions are for his people. God has said to his people, Israel, these things are going to be accomplished through you and in you. And so the idea that God is, if someone were to say to you is that God is finished with Israel, your answer to that would be, No. We've got a long parenthesis between the 483 years and then the beginning of the seven-year tribulation. And in between, here we are. But God's not finished with Israel until all that Daniel 9.24 says is accomplished. Bringing in everlasting righteousness. That hasn't happened yet. So, God still has work to do with Israel. Romans chapter 11, Romans chapter 11 speaks of that. The fact that God is not finished with Israel. That God's calling is without repentance, the King James says. And the NIV says it's irrevocable. I've said I'm going to accomplish these things to wrong people. I don't revoke that. That's what. Romans 11 11 tells us and a hardness Romans 11 says has come upon Israelites the Jews Paul says my people in part until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in and then all Israel will be saved so God is still in the future yet going to revive his chosen people and he is going to turn their hearts toward the one that they have pierced. And all of that in fulfillment of the covenant he made with Abraham and with Moses and with David and Jeremiah and the new covenant and then prophesied by Daniel. That's all yet to come in the future. All right. Now we're going to look next week in some detail at this image that Daniel saw and how that impacts going into the New Testament.